We would like to advise that the following program may contain real news, occasional philosophy and ideas that may offend some listeners. So Sandra, what are we talking about today? We could talk about cars. Nissan decided to spend almost $20 billion on battery-powered vehicles in the next five years. They're saying that by 2030, about half the vehicles they want to sell should be at least hybrid vehicles, if not electric vehicles. That sounds to me like they're jumping on an already well-oiled bandwagon. Well, 20 new battery-powered vehicles in its lineup is a significant jump. And it was quite interesting because Nissan used to be so big early on in hybrid and electric vehicles. Remember the LEAF? That was one of the first one, but then they were overtaken by companies like Tesla and Ford and Volkswagen getting on that same bandwagon. But now with a very significant investment, it looks like they want to capitalize on what was almost a decade lead in battery technology at some point. Yeah, the Nissan Leaf is actually one of the few electric cars that are not Tesla, that are on the roads in in Australia. Uh, It doesn't have that much of a range, but it's used by lots of local councils. And I think the university had some driving around campus. But you're right, Nissan is not known these days for hybrid, for example, where Toyota is clearly the market leader. Although Nissan is doing interesting things in that space, it's also working to remove cobalt from its EV batteries. And we did that whole episode. We did that just then? Just then on cobalt. And that would also mean that they might significantly reduce the cost of those batteries. So 65% cheaper than the current LEAF generation. So an interesting space to keep an eye on. I have one about cars that isn't quite big enough for a big story. But worth mentioning, the police in Canada has reported that Apple's AirTags have been used in a number of recent car thefts. To get them back after people stole them? No, thieves apparently, um, when they see an interesting, nice luxury car somewhere parked in the street or in a parking garage, they place an AirTag in a place that isn't easily accessible in the car. And then they track the car back to an owner's uh, driveway to go for an easy steal that is not in a public place. Is that what you were trying to do with the AirPods the other day that were in my bag and said, these are not your AirPods and they turned out to be your AirPods? Well, you packed my AirPods. That might have happened, yes. But that's the point. So an owner would get a notification on their phone if a foreign air tech is traveling with them. But the police says that people might not actually know what what happens with this notification. We're also fatigued of lots of notifications. People might just uh, choose to ignore it. Or indeed, they might look for it but can't find it. So the police went public and alerted people that if they get a notification on their iPhone, of course, if they don't have an iPhone, they wouldn't know about it. But if they do, to look for it in and around their cars or park. So you were trying to steal my bag? Unless you leave it out in the driveway, no. (laughs) Speaking of leaving things behind, I got very excited when I uh, read a a headline in in The Economist that um, talked about managing the Great Resignation and set aside the fact that we did this whole, whole long episode on the Great Resignation that's not quite the Great Resignation. The article promised to help us rethink retention strategies in the wake of this high staff churn that is predicted to be here to stay. And so was your excitement about this rewarded? Did you learn something worthwhile? 
Well, I can tell you what the article suggests because it's, it's basically three big things. First, that organizations and managers should systematically gauge the retention risk that their firm faces. No um, kidding. So, yep. Second was managers need to pull different levers to retain different types of people. So not just salaries matter, but other things matter as well, like healthcare and flexibility. So not all people the same. Not all people the same. And then thirdly, managers should plan for how to find new workers. You know, remote working is making it easier to find people in different places. That is solid advice. I'm sure managers around the world will be are thrilled to read this important advice that when someone quit, they might have to hire new people. But it did strike this chord when I thought, but isn't this what companies think about anyway when they think about people, you know? We don't need a great resignation. To go get to, that yeah? advice. Okay. But then, but then, at the end, <laughs> okay. at the very end, the article <laughs> did deliver. And it said that the great resignation should also prompt the question that rarely gets asked, which is what is the right level of churn? And I think that might be a question that we don't ask as often. Mm. Um, mm. Maybe this turnover is actually a good thing. And there's some some industries, some organizations where churn is expected and seen as a good thing. and Managing out and in consultancies where you do a certain time with the company and if you're not the kind of person that progresses to become a partner, for example, they have strategies in place to manage you out to, you know, client organizations and grow their alumni network, basically. Certain tech companies yeah. have it, albeit to stress people out and <laughs> get rid of the bottom um, 15%. But I think there's a lot of industries where maybe this allows people to rethink that maybe there is a right level of churn and thinking about how to move people on. So that is interesting because um, we often think about churn just as in terms of a cost and a loss. But the idea to actually use this as a productive renewal and also to have strategies in place maybe to not retain certain types of people at certain moments or just to think about this more strategically. That's what, what you're talking about. Well, this is an interesting thing that you could take away from this story. But this is not the story we're going to do today because the one we both got hung up on, and especially with the holidays coming up, was around time off. And for those of you who know us, yes, this might be a <laughs> uh, a surprising thing, us talking about taking time off and talking about leisure time and holidays, but we think that's why it's important to do it. We're talking about leisure time. There's been articles timely uh, with the holidays coming up asking questions about can we actually enjoy leisure time? What is leisure time in relation to work? So we thought we look into it. Yeah, so let's talk about how we should spend our time off, given this is also the last episode of the year. Of yep. year. Yep. Let's do this. Let's do this. From the University of Sydney Business School, this is Sydney Business Insights, an initiative that explores the future of business. And you're listening to The Future This Week, where Sandra Peter and Kai Rima sit down every week to rethink and unlearn trends in technology and business. They discuss the news of the week, question the obvious, and explore the weird and the wonderful. Our chat today starts with this article that we came across in The Atlantic, How Leisure Time Became Work, article that argued that the rise of the attention economy is making us all engage in leisure time as we do in work. So optimizing everything, treating our hobbies as they were work, measuring them, doing them in a data-driven way. There's an increasing number of people who have certain pastimes like watching the 
bachelorette or uh, collecting certain items or building water-cooled computers from scratch. And instead of just enjoying these things and keeping them to themselves, they start YouTubing about it or Instagramming and counting things. And then these things grow into not just hobbies, but a kind of work that, you know, then satisfies audiences and really gets people to do these things as if they were work with a schedule and release schedules and all this kind of stuff. So as we're approaching the holidays, we thought we would take a look at the relationship between leisure and work. And this is quite timely because during the COVID pandemic, we've seen many of these hobbies becoming almost work-like. There was already this implicit or maybe explicit idea that if you're not doing anything, you're just wasting time. So as we entered the um, lockdowns, people started uh, making sourdough and learning languages and starting to play an instrument or painting or... Learning the Rubik's Cube like Megan, our sound editor, did. And lo and behold, a few months in, we found stories where people started complaining about the pressure of doing so. People telling each other on social media about all their exploits, the new skills they learned. And then people said, oh, you know, I feel so deficient. You know, if you haven't written a book or learned a new instrument or composed an opera, then you're really, you're really a failure. And, you know, what has become of just enjoying uh, leisure time? Does every free minute have to be filled with productive time? So we had this few things coming together. We had this pressure to make leisure time productive, to measure how we're engaging in our leisure time, to have achievements in our leisure time. There was also the burnout that came with the pandemic with people doing actual more work. And we had an entire episode where we talked about how burnout used to be this condition that was associated with certain industries. If you were a paramedic, you would be expected to suffer from, from burnout, but that burnout became quite common across industries during the pandemic. There was the whole brain fog and memory problems and sleep problems that got worse and worse as we spent more and more time in lockdown and with the pressures of the, of the pandemic. And so not only were people taking less time off, and there's good stats that, that show that people have not been taking holidays and they've been taking fewer holidays. There was no op opportunity to go anywhere during the pandemic because we couldn't travel. And then our leisure time was scheduled to make sure that we were using it productively. Yeah, there's evidence that many people in the Western world, especially in knowledge jobs, take less and less time off. Only 14% of Americans, for example, take two weeks holiday in a row. And there's also increases in the number of unspent holidays that are never taken. In 2018, that amounted to 768 million days of unused holiday that people just forego. And yes, remember, there was also all these studies that advocated for a four-day work week, which said, you know, if we reduced in the number of work days, people actually getting more productive. But what was left out in those studies was the question, what do people actually do in this additional time off, right? The assumption was that they do something that then make them more productive in the work time. But now we're getting these articles which basically show people do not enjoy leisure time. 
they fill leisure time with other productive activities, um, they take on side hustles, or they simply are not happy when they have leisure time because they think it's a waste of time. So I think this is a really interesting topic that we should look into. So let's talk about this relationship between work and leisure, because today it seems like leisure is always defined in relation to work. It's either work to begin with, or you must unplug so that you can work better and be more efficient once you come back to work. But that wasn't always the case. Well, at least not for some people in society. So in ancient Greece, a lot of the dirty work was done by slaves, whereas the upper classes would indulge in politics and debate and theater, music, in philosophizing. It was only later that leisure time came to be understood in terms of, you know, recuperating for work to, you know, get time off of work to regain productivity during work hours. And leisure time became associated with people who had enough wealth to afford leisure time. They were the English holidays in mainland Europe. They were the leisurely strolls. There's a um, German philosopher, um, Walter Benjamin describing um, people in the 1800s going for a stroll through the arcade, walking a turtle on a leash, just to show how much time they had to spend on this activity. Is this like today people walking their very, very small designer dogs, not on a leash anymore in a pram or... But isn't that what you have a dog walker for because you're so busy with a side hustle? And I think that's the point, right? It is the point because... This has completely flipped. In those days, just spending time on something that has no other purpose than spending that time was a, a signifier of social wealth. These days, many people who are quite well off, who have really um, high paying jobs, spend their free time on side hustles, on creating more ventures, being engaged in philanthropic work, but generally being busy. The lack of leisure is now a status symbol. I'm so, so busy is a status symbol. Like Elon Musk sleeps on his couch in his office because he has no time to do anything else. Yeah, but now we see this research coming out which raises alarm bells around the inability to enjoy leisure time and a drop in happiness. So a lot of the research that we came across had to do with the fact that leisure now seems to stress people out. And there were different streams of research that look at how leisure is now increasingly stressing us out. So if we're thinking now of upcoming holidays and the next year, as we hopefully come out of COVID, stress around our leisure time seems to be significantly on the rise. And that's for a number of reasons. One is that people are, as we said, stressed about maximizing some goals, mastering something, reading something making it to some location and making sure that they took enough Instagram pictures of the meals as they got there. Yeah, because as we said, COVID has only intensified an already prevalent self-improvement ideology that has taken hold in, in much of society. There also seems to be this pre-work associated with leisure time that is on the rise. You want to maximize and make your leisure time efficient. So you read all these reviews about all the places you're going to and all the ways to get there and all the things you can do once you get there. So diligently planning and reviewing all your pastime activities. To leave nothing to chance, which has 
always been part of leisure time to not know what will happen next, to let the mind wander, to let, you know, time pass by and, and just indulge in the moment. So we seem to not only plan out every moment of leisure time, it also raises our expectations as to what needs to happen, which leaves a lot of room for disappointment then and, and stress if things do not go to plan. There's also the stress around signaling your leisure time accomplishment. And again, we'll put links in the show notes or research papers looking at the fact that people are moving to signaling their status and their accomplishment in domains that are not related to their work, but rather to their leisure time. Are you doing any investments? Are you landscaping? Are you baking your own sourdough at home? And have you documented this well enough so that you can display it on social media? That's stressing people out as well. And there's also perceived economic pressures as well, right? Indeed. And again, we'll put links in the show notes. And a number of economists, including Daniel Hammermash, have pointed to the fact that our ability to enjoy the things we can now afford to buy, the goods and services that we can buy now, our ability to purchase and enjoy them has risen much more rapidly than the time we have to do so. And that, again, puts this pressure and, and stress on the decisions that we make about what we choose to spend our um, time and our money on. So we should maybe have better experiences and see movies in higher definition or go to more expensive holiday destinations. Again, more stress on how we spend our time and our holidays. We need to bring up this study by Rutgers University and published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, which says that it really depends on people's beliefs about free time and that people who actually have this mindset and see leisure time as a waste of time, as unproductive time, have less ability to enjoy it and are actually more stressed about it and then also more unhappy as a result. So what they basically showed was that if you think like leisure time and time off is wasteful, you are not getting enjoyment out of parties and things like that. And we're saying this as we're about to go to a business school Christmas party shortly. Which is somewhat ironic or a paradox because those who hold very strong productivity beliefs who would think that leisure time is there to recuperate and become more productive then have less ability to actually enjoy this leisure time to recuperate, turn it into more work to be productive in that time as well, hence achieving potentially the opposite, being unhappy, being burned out. So there's a real conundrum there with this productivity mindset when applied to the leisure time. Okay, but... This is our last episode before the holidays, so I think we should finish up on, so what can we actually do to have more fun? To make the upcoming holiday period, the leisure time, more enjoyable, more productive? No, no just to have more fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so maybe three things, right? Okay, three things is always good. It's a good start. There's some research published in HBR which says maybe you should embrace some goals in leisure time. But personal goals, things like seeing friends or even organizing your closet, because it seems that does tend to make people slightly happier. So not just unstructured, not knowing what to do, but at least have a goal, not necessarily a plan. Um, don't treat it as a work schedule, but know what you're going to do to look forward to 
And maybe that is because people see leisure time as wasteful. So having any kind of goal or to-do list does make you slightly happier. Not a lot happier, we should say. So it was about an 8% increase in happiness. And it remains a mystery how you measure this to the dot. Am I now 8% more happy because I know that I'm going to go to the Christmas party? We'll report back on that. So first, set some personal goals. A second thing you could do is go on a holiday. And this is advice from Danny Kahneman, who you talked to recently. Yes, his work into happiness has basically shown that experiences, so going on holidays or having experiences, have much more lasting effects on happiness than buying things or having things. Even if that thing is a new house or a new car, their effect on happiness diminishes much more quickly than the memories from experiences, right? And I think this is pertinent advice, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic, where, as we know from stats, many of us have shopped online. Many, many of us have shopped a lot online. Because we couldn't go anywhere and there was free income to spend. So e-commerce companies have done really, really well. But when buying stuff doesn't really make you happy, going away might. And as many of us are now in a position to do some limited travel, that might be the way to go. Yeah. So set some personal goals, go on a holiday. We should have three. We always have three things. What could the third one be? Listen to the online project. Yeah. Why not listen to a podcast? That could be a goal that you do on a holiday. So combine one, two, and three Listen to The Unlearned Project, our new podcast series about changing common sense. You might actually learn something, could be productive as well. And in the meantime, I think the two of us should set a goal as well, because one thing we've learned from researching this episode was that there's not a really good understanding yet of leisure time and what goes into um, spending our leisure time well. So we might embark on some research. How about an autoethnography on leisure time in the next few weeks. That's research on ourselves doing leisure time. So an autoethnography on leisure time might be a good idea. And the suggestion would also be to make it a longitudinal study. We could apply to do a research project into leisure time, um, you know, and the effect on work. So um, how about a, a two-year project? A longitudinal <laughs> autoethnography of leisure. I can't even pronounce that. But the point here is the future this week goes on a break. Um, we'll see you early in the next year. In the meantime, happy holidays and thanks for listening. Oh, and listen to The Unlearned Project. Thanks for listening. This was The Future This Week, an initiative of the University of Sydney Business School. Sandra Peter is the Director of Sydney Business Insights and Kai Rima is Professor of Information Technology and Organisation. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Flipboard and subscribe, like, or leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any weird and wonderful topics for us to discuss, send them to sbi at sydney.edu.au.